Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, Bridge Church. Chase coming at you guys here again in our lovely lobby. As you can see, if you come to our church building today, a lot of very exciting changes have happened around here. Our nursery is officially framed. Our, we got these awesome lights overhead, and things are coming together really super well, all right? So the church is growing by leaps and bounds, but I'm still here to keep talking to you guys about this wonderful thing called grace, okay? So today we're in part three of our grace series. So for those of you that remember from the first week, I just said, I said we were going to break down the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, and look at each letter individually over these next coming weeks, okay? So the first week was just explaining that and like foundational stuff about like how grace and works work together. We'll have some more on that today. And then last week we talked about the generosity of grace, when to give it, how to give it, different stuff like that, okay? But today we're coming to the R. And this one could be a little scary because the R in our grace anagram stands for required. And the title of today's message is The Requirements of Grace or Grace Required, okay? Now, I know a lot of people may hear that and get a little like, mm, I don't like that, that's a little scary, that's a little too like workspace, that's a little too, uh, I don't like that, okay? Well, stick with me. Okay? I promise you, I very much know like the mindset and the thoughts that you're having right now, but I guarantee you it won't be that bad, and I fully intend to alleviate all those concerns and all those ideas, okay? And to do that, I first have to introduce our text scripture for this whole series, okay? It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, and it says, but to each one of us, okay? Each, all right? So grace required each. Keep that in mind. One of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, okay? Christ's gift. Just those two words, okay? So before we talk about the requirement of grace, what's required for grace, anything involving grace and required, I first want to establish, first and foremost, grace is Christ's gift to you, okay? Grace is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It doesn't work like that. It is a free gift, okay? And we'll talk about that a bit more later. But for right now, I just need you guys to know that I am not going to stand here and say that you have to work to earn grace, all right? That is not at all what I am saying. Grace is the free gift given by Christ to you, all right? So before we go any further, I first have to establish that, all right? But the three questions we're going to tackle today, because I like that three-question format, are, is grace required? And I'll talk a bit more about that once we get to it. What is required for grace? Again, like I had said, don't, don't trip. Just follow me here. And then the last question we're going to look at is when does grace mean the most? All right? So those are the three questions we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and jump into it. The first question we're going to talk about today is, is grace required? And it seems like a kind of obvious question. Like, is grace required? Uh, duh. Yes, it you would certainly say so. But... I want you guys to think about that question for a second. Just mull it over in your mind, okay? Because I got one example that I want to throw out to you guys and see what you have to say about it, okay? It's in Exodus chapter 7, verse 13, and it says this. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Okay, so remember, 
the descriptions of grace that we've given in the series up to this point. Grace is to be given generously. It's to be given freely. It's a gift that you give to someone else whenever they stumble, whenever they have an issue. And grace is an extension of God. God extended grace to you. He wants you to extend it to others. This does not sound like that. This very much does not sound like a grace-empowered life or a grace-infused life, to use a certain verbiage, okay? And that's how Pharaoh starts. How does he end, though? In Exodus chapter 10, verse 28, after all these plagues have come, after this weird old guy turned a stick into a snake, after, like, the Nile turned to blood, after all this stuff, what does Pharaoh have to say? Has he finally, like, seen the error of his ways and been like, oh, yeah, grace! I'm on that grace train. Well, no, he doesn't say that. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 28, he says, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. That's an exclamation mark right there. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. He's a little upset, okay? So you can tell that the life that Pharaoh is living up to this point is not a grace-infused life. It's not a life that grace has been a very large part in, okay? So is grace required? Returning back to the initial question, is grace required for you to live life as a whole? This example leads me to conclude, no, it is not. But just because grace is not required doesn't mean that grace isn't needed or isn't wanted, okay? Because we have an even greater example, okay? In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. Okay? So we have these two examples. We have one who lived a life not infused with grace. A life not walking in grace, not accepting grace, not giving it to others, nothing like that. And on the flip side, we have Jesus. And a life fully infused and fully grasping grace. Jesus, grace, helps us to have it in exchange, okay? So think about these two different lives. One worked miracles. One was a blessing to every single person he met. The other one was shouting at you, saying, don't ever look at me again, or if you ever look at me, I'm going to kill you, okay? So look at these two different ways, these two different paths you can walk in life. One with grace and one without, okay? And to further exemplify this dichotomy or this splits in your life, we have some scripture, okay? The first one is in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. It says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So even God is saying, there are these two paths before you. There is life and there is death. There is good, there is evil, okay? But more importantly, God says a couple uh, verses after this, he says, choose life, okay? God very much wants you to pick the one path, the grace path, the awesome path, okay? But it doesn't just start there, because that's the Old Testament. What does the New Testament have to say? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, okay? Now, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Don't start thinking, oh, no, am I in the many way? No, 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 don't, don't go there. Think about this, though. Jesus is portraying a path that is split. There is a narrow gate and a wide gate. And I would wager they're going in opposite directions. One is the path that God is calling you to walk. The other one is the one you're already on. Because remember, I talked about in our very first week how every man is born in sin. Every man, woman, and child is born going one way. 
And grace is how you 180 turn and go the other way going towards Jesus, okay? All right, everybody tracking with me so far? Everybody following? Okay, good. The last verse I want to talk about is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. All right, so connecting back to Pharaoh. Moses is sharing in that generational curse that I explained in our very first week. If you need, if you need me to breeze back through it, basically, when Adam sinned, he sent a spiritual curse down into all of, us, all of his seed, which is all of man, that is sin. Okay, so we are all sharing of sin. And this is a great example of that. Moses is Pharaoh's daughter's son. So Pharaoh's his grandpa, basically. And because of that, Moses is inheriting certain things. He's inheriting, like, parts of the kingdom. He's inheriting wealth. He's inheriting all these things. But Moses is refusing to follow this, okay? And then in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Okay? Moses is putting off the old man, to use some New Testament verbiage, and putting on the new man. He is voluntarily choosing to go the way of God and not the way of sin. Okay? And then verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. What is the reward? The reward is being able to be with God forever. Perfect, amazing, awesome fellowship. Okay? All right? So there's these two paths. I have just painted out for you two that is grace required for you to, like, live life? Notice I'm saying just live life. No, it's not. You can live your life without grace, but I have to be honest with you guys, I am very biased to one particular way that I think is so much better than the other one, okay? And to back that up, I got some verses for you. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, it says this, Come to me, all you who labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You could stop there and just be like, hallelujah. <laughs> some of us could use some of that, right? Some of us could use this rest, this divine rest that Jesus gives, okay? Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, okay? Every time I hear this, I always think of my brother, because my brother really loved a book called The Pilgrim's Progress, and what happens in that book is a man is living in a city called the City of Destruction or Perdition or something like that. I forget what it is. But this man has a burden upon his back that he carries for most of the book. Okay? And then when he comes to the side of the cross, this burden comes off and falls down at the cross and then disappears. This is what Jesus is saying. Take off your sin and put on my burden. Alright? He says that here in this next verse. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, he is saying. What is that? That is the title of Christian. And let me tell you something. Christian isn't just a title. It's a description. Christ-like is a description. It's not a title. All right? And then another verse is in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, okay? It says this. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Okay, so if you make this path of grace, if you make this divine turnaround, there's going to be things that come around and are like, Hey, hey, come back this way. Come back the other way. Look at how wide it is. It's so comfortable. You could be so happy here. It looks so much nicer, doesn't it? 
There's going to be stuff calling out to you, trying to get you to turn around. But don't turn around. Hear the Father's voice and stay on the path that God is calling you to. The path of grace and righteousness, okay? And then it says this in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, if anyone accepts salvation, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture is that rest that we were just talking about. This new rest, this divine way of feeling like everything is chaotic around you, but you have perfect peace in Jesus. Okay? And then verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The grace path is more abundant life because you're living it with Jesus, who is always helping you, who is always enabling you to do everything and anything that he wants you to do. Whereas you go the other way, stuff's getting stolen from you. There's a thief that's after you that keeps coming at you. You go the other way, though, with Jesus, you can push him off like he's nothing. Not even a big deal. Amen? And then the last verse I want to end this particular point on is in 1 John 4, 19. Okay? And it says this. We love him because he first loved us. We can walk this path of grace because Jesus lived, died, and rose again for it. Okay? Jesus died so you could have this new awesome freedom, this new path to walk down, this amazing awesome path that he has laid out every stone for you along the way, okay? So, looping back around one more time. Is grace required? No, but it is better. And I don't feel like that's braggadocious or bold to say. Grace is the better way. Being generous with your grace and knowing that it's not a burden you have to bear, but a privilege and a fruit of the tree of your life makes it better than trying to go life without it. Okay? But the next point I want to talk about is what is required for grace. Okay? Now, this is the point that I expect a lot of people are like, their eyes are coming up. They're thinking, hey, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You just spent a good amount of time at the top of this message talking about how grace is free. How can it require something of me if it is free? Hang on a minute. That doesn't make sense. Well, I got good news for you. I am right. Grace is free. Grace is completely free. And for that, I got a verse. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Hallelujah for that. Most important part of the Bible, right there. Just cut off the rest. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I am not saying that you have to work all of your life to earn that one minute of grace. That's not at all how it is. That's a legalistic mentality. That's believing that you were the thing that got yourself saved. Joseph Prince says that... You, can't, you didn't win grace through your works. You can't lose it through them either. You weren't this perfect, righteous person that said, Ah, yes, I have earned this. Not like a prince inheriting a kingdom. It wasn't like that. You weren't born into this kingdom of righteousness and then attained it through your, like, efforts. We are the prodigal son. The one who went away, lost everything, and then came back. 
It is through God's generosity, through his gift of grace, that we are able to be with him forever in life, okay? That's not at all what I am saying. I am not at all saying that you have to work to earn grace. That's not what we're talking about, okay? But accepting grace and changing your life, going this narrow path, there's going to be things that are going to be different. And there's going to be things that grace is going to slowly grow in you. Characteristics that you will slowly have to show. Sacrifices you'll have to make. And this isn't because God is expecting it of you. It's because as you grow closer to God, these things are gonna want are gonna be start to peel off, and they're gonna want to stick to you. But you gotta just let them go. Okay. These are natural things that grace will slowly grow in you. But you have to let them grow and not block them. Okay. And the first thing it's gonna cost you is your heart. No, don't. Don't, don't mistake this. I'm not talking about like you got to, you know, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, like rip your heart out and literally give it to God. No, that's not at all what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, though, is you have to let the love of God grow in you. You have to see others how God sees them, and you have to treat others how God would treat them. That one's the hardest part. But Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26 says this, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe have the love of God is to trust. That's what this basically is, is to trust God fully and completely and to know he's never, ever, ever going to let you go. And that because you have been forgiven, you give forgiveness very liberally and very generously. Just like that 1 John 4, 19 verse, we love because he first loved us. Love should overflow in a Christian's life. But to first do that, you have to give God your heart so he can put his heart in you. There's countless worship songs that talk about, God, give me your eyes to see. God, give me your ears to hear. So that I can treat people and love people and see people how you see them and not how I see them. Okay? And then the next thing that is going to be required of you or that you have to give to God is your future. Now, that may seem a little spooky, like, hey, wait a minute, I don't get to control where I go, I don't get to control what I do. It's not like that. But God wants to come into your life, and he wants to have a major say in your life. Like, when God says, hey, I want you to start volunteering here, or hey, I want you to start mentoring this person, that's going to cost a lot of time going forward. And God wants you to do it. Now, of course, take time to pray about it and do all that, but the heart of God, when God gives a purpose on your heart, when God gives you a mission in your heart that you fervently pursue it, and that you don't put it on the back burner and think, oh, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it, or anything like that, okay? And the verse I have for this is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, if you want to be a Christian, let him deny himself, so choose not to do what you want to do and take up his cross, do what Christ would do, and then do it. Follow me. That's the formula this verse is painting, is to deliberately choose to not do things the way you want to do them and instead do them how God wants you to do them and then do it. Okay? And I don't want anyone here to feel condemned. This message is not at all designed to make you feel condemned. 
I'm not here to tell you that you're the worst Christian ever or anything like that. Because I have failed at every single one of these points before. I have chosen not to have the heart of God. I have held on to resentment. And I have chosen to go a different way and not the way God wants me to go. And most importantly, the last thing it's going to cost you is your life. Now, again, I'm not saying you need to go out and like become a martyr, like you know, let yourself be killed or anything like that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, just like the last point, let God be the master and ruler of your life. Because let me tell you, he's got such good plans for you. I know the plans I have for you, says Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is speaking to a captive Israel. It's important to recognize that, but we can also see how God is speaking to us today through that verse. I know the plans I have for you, and they are good plans. Plans that will blow your mind, but you have to trust him with them first. God wants to do wonderful things through you. Absolutely awesome things. But you have to trust him. And again, if you're not there, grow. The Christian relationship, the Christian life is meant to grow. If you're not at this point yet, grow into it. Work your way up to it. Pray and ask God to grow these things in you, okay? Don't do it out of dogmatic legalism like, I have to be better. I have to be a better Christian. There's a scripture that says, I have to whip myself in order to stay in line. No, that's not the Christian life. That's not the grace mentality. That's not a grace-empowered life. A grace-empowered life is, God, this is what you want, and I'm going to do it too. I'm going to chase after it with all I have, not because I don't feel like I have a choice, but because I know it's what you want. And the verse I have to end this section is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the now, brethren can have all kinds of different meanings. Across all of the Bible, across all of Christianity, it has so many different meanings. It can mean Christians. It can mean all of man. It can mean whatever God puts on your heart. But it's important to know. Important to keep that in your mind. And laying down your life doesn't mean just dying. It means picking up that extra person for church. Or it means taking that extra lunch to minister to a person. Or staying up late to talk to somebody on the phone again. Those are giving up your life. Okay? So if you walk the path of grace, all of that will naturally be coming out of you. All that will naturally start to come fall off of you, so to speak. Okay? But regardless of which one of these two paths you take, whether you take the path of grace or you take the wide road, as we call it, you, both, you end up at the same place either way. And it's that place... That brings us to our last question, which is, when does grace mean the most? When is the moment when grace really gets to shine? Not just showing like you, your behavior improving through your life, but when it really counts. When it really comes in and makes that massive difference. Well, it's at the end of your life. After you've done all you're going to do, after you've walked the path of grace or walked the other way, when the lights go out and you wake up. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says it like this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
Now, I know a lot of people are going to hear this and think, oh no. When I face God, he's going to be so mad. I've done so much wrong. I'm just, he's going to put it up on a big TV in heaven. All my guilt and all my shame is going to be displayed for everyone to see. That is so against the heart of God. When you face God, he's not going to publicly humiliate and shame you. That's so against his heart. What his heart is is to get down and dirty, looking you in the face. I think the judgment seat of Christ is exactly that, just God sitting in a chair just looking at you. And I think you'll, how you feel or your first thought when you see him immediately tells where you're going. And let me tell you something. When you face the judgment seat of Christ, God doesn't decide where you go. You've decided where you go. We can see this in our next verse. Actually, in this verse. I'm not going to skip ahead yet. I want to stay on this one for a minute longer. That each one may receive the things done in the body. This life matters. Everything done in this life will affect the spiritual. The physical and the spiritual are innately tied together. And if you accepted that gift of grace, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. It is the free gift. Okay? You face God and he smiles. Just like the father and the prodigal son. He's just like my son. You were lost, but now you have come home. That is when grace means the most. It is this moment when you face God. Because grace covers and completely wipes out your sin. When God looks at you, he's not looking at you. He's looking at Jesus. And what does God see when he looks at Jesus? Perfection, righteousness, empowerment, and love. All these things God has for you because of Jesus. Because of the gift of grace that Jesus went through all that he went through to give to you. Okay? Don't believe me? In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. The picture I get whenever I hear this verse is of a courtroom. God the Father is the judge. He's sitting there. He has like everything you've done on a list right before him. And then you have the devil on the other side saying, they are guilty of this. They are guilty of this. They are guilty of this. And then by making intercession for us, you, the defense, have a lawyer on your side. And it is Jesus. And he goes point by point. The devil says, he's guilty of this. And Jesus stands up and says, no, I have taken that. He is guilty. No, he is righteous. In your life, which one of these two you believe and which one of these two you accept and which one of these two you follow decide your afterlife? In Hebrews 7.25 it says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Saves to the uttermost. The uttermost is the absolute edge, the absolute expanse of people, the people who are absolutely farthest from God. Jesus reaches out to try to save them. 
And how does he save them? Through Christians. The hands and feet of God in this world. That random person you see on the bus stop, or that homeless person you see, or that person in your life that needs Jesus. That needs that touch of God in their life. That person. That's the person God wants me to minister to. And I don't want to focus on this, but I do have to say it. If you go the other way, see the gift of grace and you do not receive it and you walk the other way. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even as we believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by works of the law no flesh shall be justified. says it all. If you go your own way, if you see the gift of grace and you voluntarily choose not to accept it, then the choice is yours. Which afterlife you go to? Permanent fellowship with God or permanent separation from Him? The choice is yours. God won't force it on you. God doesn't decide where you go. God has set the rules. He has made the game. But He's going to let you choose how to play it. Which road you go, which path you take is completely up you, you alone decide that. And I know that's scary for some people to hear. It's intimidating and all that. But please, if you're under the sound of my voice, hear this. It's not too late. To the uttermost, Jesus saves. To the absolute reach of man, he saves. Jesus is reaching out to you through this. Okay? So don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. We can do that for you. Okay? So I know it's a little early, but I feel motivated by God to do this. Okay? There's a prayer we can say. In the Bible it says, if you speak out of your mouth and believe in your heart, then you are saved. Okay? So I want to do this right here, right now. Alright? Close your eyes and bow your heads. If you need grace, if you need to switch off the wide path and get back on to the narrow path, I can help you. Or if, you re or if you reached out for grace, you took it, but you let it go, and you walked away, well, let me tell you, we can fix that too. Okay? Doesn't matter. If you're still alive, there's still time. It's never too late. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all, for all of man, for all of time. You can do this. You can accept grace. You can live this life that Jesus wants you to live, this perfect, absolute path. Okay? So say this after me. Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you came as a man. I believe you died for my sins. I accept this gift of redemption. I publicly declare you as my Lord and Savior. And if I have wandered, may I be restored to your grace. Amen. Okay? So what is required? What is the requirement of grace? The requirement for grace to come into your life and break in and completely change the entire atmosphere and layout of your life is just that. This simple prayer. Jesus is my Lord. He died for me. And he's 
taking my sin away, and I allow it. Amen. That's all you need. You acknowledge who Jesus is. You say he is Lord, and not just a Lord. Jesus can't just be the top five, just like what we were talking about. You gotta give God your, when you give God your life, it's not just a one-time commitment, it's a lifetime commitment. It's just like a marriage. I use this metaphor all the time, and I just, I adore it. Because Christianity isn't just a marriage ceremony, a one-time moment that you ignore for the rest of your life. It's a moment, it's an everyday relationship, it's an everyday lifestyle. You say yes to Jesus, and then he comes in, he moves into your life, he moves into your house, the house of your life, if you're following my metaphor here. And he wants to forever be involved in your life after that. He doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to be, like, just have one little room in your house. He wants the whole house. There's an awesome book called My Heart, Christ's Home. We have it around here at the church. Feel free to ask for it. We'd be more than happy to give it to you. It's a wonderful resource. important thing is that when Jesus comes into your life and he's willing to help you through that my burden is easy and my yoke is light the yoke is light because Jesus is carrying it with you because he's helping you through everything you go through in life you'll never be alone again alright so to close is grace required? no but it is amazing it's so awesome. I can't imagine living my life without it. What is required for grace? That you give God your heart, you give him your future, and you give him your life. Again, you give these things. God can't take them. You have to give them. And then lastly, when does grace mean the most? At the very end of your life. When you face the judgment seat of Christ and your relationship with God fully comes together. And God can say, I'm so happy to see you. I've been Hallelujah. Well, that's it for me today, guys. So thank you so much for listening. Feel free to stick around for our next message next week where we talk about how admirable grace is. I look forward to seeing you there. Have a blessed week. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to bridgechurchutah.com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.